Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So we at the state's attorney's office need to spend time working our way up that supply chain to get after the gun crime epidemic that we have. Last year, the Chicago Police Department seized 10, over 10,000 illegal guns. Four years ago, by the way, they received they, they seized about 7,000. So if we're really going to get after that gun crime epidemic, we have to be getting after the supply that brings all these illegal guns here. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. And with us today is the Democratic candidate for state's attorney, Bill Conway. I've never met you. You say I've talked to you on the phone. Yeah. When was this? Well, Fran, back uh, when I was, first of all, thank you very much for for having me on your program. And so I I was uh, in the state's attorney's office from 2006 to 2012. Uh, and I was in the Public Corruption and Financial Crimes Unit 2009 to 2012. And I had a couple couple cases where, where I had the pleasure of, of being interviewed by you. One of them was a case involving a city employee who used some city forms to essentially buy $540 worth of food. And she then served this food on a booze cruise bus trip that she had sold tickets to to her friends and things and even though the theft was very small it got it was a headline grabber yeah it got media attention because it was uh such a such a wacky wacky set of facts and then it eventually went to trial as well so that of course kept it kept in the news another one was interestingly i had a um a case involving a employee at the water department who had uh, bribed somebody at the buildings department to get, and he had owned some, he owned some homes that he was renting out and he had bribed that person at the buildings department to take these homes off the demolition list. So, um, uh, yeah, so that was a case that, that got some press cause you had city employee kind of bribing city employee, but even though it was not a city thing and that actually went to a jury trial and the city IG, uh, was heavily involved in, in the investigation of that as well. So those are a couple I can think of. I think there was a couple more too, but they would have been short and I'm sure you, I'm sure you interviewed many assistant state's attorneys during that time. Well, I haven't done it recently because yeah. there hasn't been a lot of involvement by the state's attorney in public corruption. Should there be? And why isn't there? Oh, clearly there uh, there should be. Um, excuse me, yeah. Clearly the state's attorney's office should be doing, doing work on the public corruption side. I mean, we see at the federal level, uh, you know, significant prosecution happening right now. And... For whatever reason, there isn't the will or the determination at the state's attorney's office today to do that. And, you know, we Why can all, not? We can all certainly speculate. Why do you think Kim Fox is not involved? I mean, the excuse has always been, well, we don't have wiretapping ability and so on. And so, you know, they have much more power than we do. So let them go at it. Well, there isn't. There isn't the will or the determination, and I could speculate all day as to why that is, but what I can what I can promise you is that when I'm elected, I am going to be a fully independent state's attorney, 
And therefore, I can I can and I've said this term many times. I am going to bring about a public corruption reckoning that we have not that we have wanted here in Chicago for a very long time. And I'll actually be like what? Like what? I mean, do you think that, for example, Ed Burke Mm -hmm. should be prosecuted by the state's attorney's office or could have been over these many years? You know, when you have a situation like like Alderman Burke, that is something even if it came from the state's attorney, that one is probably something that probably has to go has to go federal. But you have uh, you know, you have all these inspectors general who do really fantastic work. You know, I think there are 11 of them in Cook County um, and they do great work and uh, they will take their cases to the U.S. attorney's office first. And, you know, after that, they come to the state's attorney's office. And, uh, you know, these are cases that and I've seen them on many occasions, of course, where they oftentimes will require subpoenaing some bank records lock somebody in on the grand jury, maybe two people, and they are ready to go for indictment. So I will tell you that uh, once elected, we will have a very close relationship with those inspectors general. And what else we'll do is, so there is always somebody on call from the public corruption unit that is essentially doing felony review. All the all the calls that will come into felony review are the cases. They will be vetted by the felony review assistant from public corruption. That person is going to have a second job in my administration, and that will be monitoring the whistleblower hotline so that if a government employee sees um, criminal behavior or fraudulent behavior, they will be able to report it directly to the state's attorney if for some reason they don't feel comfortable going to their inspector general. You have a very interesting background. You have three, I think, three postgraduate degrees from some of the finest universities in the land. Is that right? Well, I think it's just two, but I'll oh, take the oh, third you if you'll... Uh, yeah. and an undergraduate yeah, yeah. from so one I, of the finest universities. Yeah, thank you, yeah. You have Wharton, you have University of Chicago, Georgetown Law. You worked as an assistant state's attorney and as a naval intelligence officer in uh, Qatar. Uh, you haven't actually practiced law in recent years. Why not? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I do have a case pending pending right now that is the subject of of uh, your uh, commercial, of my commercial, which which, which I I, have, I think I've seen it. I think I was watching the state State of the Union the other night. I think I saw it six times. Oh, really? Okay. You are blanketing the yeah. airwaves with that commercial. Well, it is a it's a powerful story that that Candace has to tell. So that is uh, tell the audience who may not. I don't know how, but may not have seen sure. it. What's sure. the story there, and why is it important to this race? Well, I, I represent a young woman named Candace Clark, and she was charged with filing a false police report under not a terribly egregious set of circumstances. And we know what happened with, with Jesse Smollett. You know, He paid some money, uh, probably equivalent to about five minutes of a TV episode, was given credit for 16 hours of community service that he'd already done, and he you know, he, fa- he allegedly faked a hate crime yeah. against himself to maybe bolster his image or get renewed by Fox, which he didn't, and or whatever. And 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 my client, uh, like I said, she's also charged with filing a false police report. Uh, I don't want to get too into the facts, but I will say even the judge said a much less egregious set of facts. She is in a rigorous program right now, and we go to court every month. She has to visit a probation officer every month. She has to maintain a job. If she doesn't, she has to do 96 hours of community service. She has to pay significant restitution. 
She has to uh, be enrolled in GED class. If she wants to leave Cook County, we have to go get permission from a judge to do that. And seemingly the only difference between between uh, Candace and Jussie is that one of those people is a politically connected Hollywood celebrity and the other one is an hourly wage worker. And that's not right what happened to her. And yet the Black Caucus of the City Council has accused you of exploiting her. Well, I'm, you know, I am, uh, I took her case because I saw an obvious case of, of unequal justice there. And that's why I represent her. And, and but you knew then, didn't you, that you were going to run? I was, I was thinking about it, but I was taking her case either way. You know, there was a small article in the Sun-Times about it. And, you know, I remember reading it and I said, you know what, that's, that's not right. Somebody ought to do something about that. So I called the public defender's office and, and took her case. Um, what does the Jesse Smollett case say about Kim Fox and what happens if Dan Webb, the special prosecutor's report, is not released before the election, which it appears it will not be? You know, it's it's an obvious, you know, there's a lot of issues with, with that case and, and they, uh, you know, perhaps speak to the office in a wider capacity. I mean, you have a case, obviously, of unequal justice that we've, that we've discussed, but you also have, you know, certainly the issue of integrity. You know, the, the state's attorney of Cook County really needs to be a, a beacon of public trust. And she obviously told um, untruths to, to the public and the media several times during the course of the investigation. And then you also have the issue of just incompetence in terms of thinking that she could recuse herself and not her office in that, which, um, you know, is, is, is obviously incorrect, which is what has prompted, uh, which has prompted the investigation by Mr. Webb, of course. But is it part of an underlying problem in the office or is it an isolated case where she blew it? Well, I also point to I also point to, uh, you know, the Sun-Times reporting about her connections with Alderman Burke. You know, what we know about that is she after running as a reformer, she then did the ultimate insider rite of passage by holding a fundraiser at, at Alderman Burke's house. And then that was some house boy. They had a lot of fundraisers <laughs> over there. Yeah, yeah, you know they they sure did, and you know it was certainly interesting that uh, that you know uh, President Preckwinkle and the other mayoral candidates returned the money that they received from those fundraisers, but Miss Fox, uh, I know she's returned Alderman Burke's, but she has kept the remaining money that that Alderman Burke bundled for her, which seems which seems wild, um, shocking in fact. But even beyond that, the fact that right after she gets in office, signs off on a $2 million property tax rebate, which according to the Sun-Times was her the biggest property tax rebate given in the first 11 months, 11 months in office. And of course, we're not just talking about some random funder here. We're talking about, you know, indicted Alderman Ed Burke, who um, even then was known as potentially the one of the most notorious favor traders in the history of, of Chicago politics. And at the very, very, very minimum, the optics on that are just are just terrible. And and that was why I think the Sun-Times called on on Ms. Fox to not take money from property tax attorneys, uh, property tax appeal attorneys. And I know Ms. Fox didn't heed that, but I have. And that's why I don't take money from well, property I, tax. Well, in all deference, you don't need it. Your dad is one of the wealthiest men in America. Uh, he's worth $3.1 billion. He's given you almost $8 million, probably, and counting. He's probably going to... How much is he prepared to give? 
Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into get into that. Um, uh, but we are certainly. Uh, I have not been shy about the fact that that my family and friends were going to put in significant resources to to get our message out there. And uh, I am confident if we get our message out there of what we're trying to do, that we are that that we're going to win this election. But I think it is important that the that the state's attorney be independent. And we all know in this town when an entrenched political machine puts somebody in power, that that person then seemingly owes the machine. And I can promise you, because I won't owe the machine, that I will be an independent state's attorney, and that's why I can promise you the public corruption reckoning that I have. But how do you get around the image, and maybe some of this is jealousy of wealth, how do you get around the image that you are a rich man's son whose father is trying to buy him an office? You know, I, I love my dad. He has been a great father to me. Uh, but it's worth noting, I have never worked at his firm. I've dedicated the bulk of my career to to public service, um, you know, working at the state's attorney's office and serving in serving in the U.S. military, of course. And that's why when when elected, I'm not going I'm not going to owe anybody anything. Right. But how do you get around that image of the poor little rich boy whose father is trying to buy him an election? Well, I'm putting forward, I'm putting my forward, my message of what I'm trying to do. We are going to really balance our criminal justice reform efforts, get after the gun crime epidemic we have here by really disrupting the supply chain that brings all these guns here and getting politics and getting politics out of the office. And we are going to put forward that message. And I'm confident, uh, that the voters will respond and be, I'll be elected on election day. What was it like growing up as the son of a billionaire? People like to know this. Well, you know, I, I, um, I mean, I was actually, uh, my father was a great father, but I was actually raised, raised by my mom. My parents were divorced when I was real young. Uh, my mom was a executive assistant at Illinois Institute of Technology. And my mom was a great mom and, 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 uh, you know, I, I'm grateful for everything. I'm certainly grateful for my father, but I'm, you know, I always kind of hate these questions because my mom did a uh, great job raising me and has been there for me every step of the way. And and my mother is a tough lady. My mother, in fact, during the course of this camp, uh, during the course of this campaign, actually became a two-time cancer survivor. Um, so my mom, I, my mom is a great lady and a tough lady. And I often, I often say that uh, the criminals of Cook County are lucky that she's not running for state's attorney. So are you saying that you didn't grow up in wealth? I mean, your mom was working and she was raising you as a single mom, but wasn't your dad providing? My dad, my dad has been, you? my dad has been, has been supportive. Um, you know, so, so you I don't were, want to shot. So what you was know. it like to be the son of a billionaire? Yeah, I never, you know, I never was really exposed to, um, exposed to that though, when I was growing up. Where, where did you live? Uh, we lived in Lakeview. I grew up in a two bedroom apartment in Lakeview. Uh, you know, I had a great upbringing. I don't want to be, everyone should have my, have my problems. Did you go to Latin school? I did. I did okay, go to Latin so school. So your dad paid for that. And so, you, so you lived in this two bedroom apartment, but he was supporting you to do the things that you needed to educationally yeah, at least. My, my father has been supportive and and uh and and been there for me but um i never have felt like i grew up in some kind of billionaire household or anything it's it just that just wasn't my so wasn't the my privilege upbringing. that you had was the education 
I guess, then. You Certainly. have the my, ability my, to go to Latin, the ability to go to the finest schools in the land. No, no tuition problems there. That, that, that is true. My father has, is a, my father and family is a uh, big believer in, big believer in the importance of education. And I'm, and I am uh, fortunate that I, that I have received a, uh, a, a good education. And now he's opening this wallet of his for unlimited to help you here. Pretty well, much. I, um, is there a limit to what he's prepared to give? Well, I don't want I don't want to get I don't want to get into that. But uh, we, you know, like I said, we're not. I've never been shy about the fact we are going to put significant resources in this to get to get our message out. And the fact of the matter is, because I don't want to take any money that would create a conflict of interest for the state's attorney's office. You uh, say you're running to enact real criminal justice reform. What do you mean by that? Kim Fox says she's done that. Well, there's there, you know, there are two two parts of it, you know, and, and, and I actually prefer I've said real in the past, but I prefer to say the word balanced criminal justice reform, because, you know, what we have to do is we have to remember the importance of our or really the purpose of jail in the sense that jail is a place for people that are a danger to the community. And we still have a lot of people that go to jail for being poor or addicted or mentally ill. And uh, I know that that bail reform has tried to get after get after much of that. And I'm in favor of certainly those parts of it. But at the end of the year, we had 259 people in Cook County Jail who could be bonded out for less than $1,000. And that doesn't make much sense. Even putting aside the humanity of it, you know, it costs about $160 a night to house somebody. But that also said, if somebody commits a crime with a gun, if somebody commits a violent crime, I think that person should be should be kept in jail because they've indicated that they're a danger to society. And the Bail Reform Act allows for that to happen. There are certain charges that are that are known as discretionary no bail charges, where the state's attorney's office can file a petition asking for the person to be held no bail. Cases um, where somebody is charged with uh, armed habitual criminal or uh, criminal sexual assaults or possession of a machine gun, possession of a gun by a felon are some of the ones that, that come to mind. And the state's attorney's office can file these petitions asking for the person to be held no bail. But until recently, that wasn't happening at all. And it's now happening very minimally. And the reason it's happening at all is because the appellate court recently said to them in a case of People v. Gill, saying, you need to be filing these petitions if, if, to hold these, folks, uh, hold these folks without bail. You say also that you want to apply lessons learned as a naval intelligence officer to go after and use innovative strategies to go mm -hmm. after the flow of illegal guns. How? What? So when we, when I was uh, deployed to Qatar and then forward to Afghanistan, my job was figuring out where does the Taliban get its money from? And the reason we wanted to find that out is because we did not want them to have the ability to buy weapons to attack us, to attack our troops. And when we look at gun cases here, you know, you have somebody who commits a crime with, with an illegal gun. They probably bought that gun from their friend. The friend probably bought it out of the back of a trunk of a car with seven or 10 guns in it. This probably came from a house with, say, 30 or 40 guns in it. And those probably came off a truck uh, with straw buyers and things of 150 to 200 guns, say. And at the local level, we spend a lot of time continuing to pick off the single gun, the single gun user. And at the federal level, they'll take the house or the truck if it if it comes to them, but they 
shouldn't spend time taking individual gun cases. That's just not their, not their, uh, not what they should be doing. So we at the state's attorney's office need to spend time working our way up that supply chain to get after the gun crime epidemic that we have. I mean, last year, the Chicago Police Department seized 10, over 10,000 illegal guns. Four years ago, by the way, they received, they, they seized about 7,000. So if we're really going to get after that gun crime epidemic, we have to be getting after the supply that brings all these illegal guns here. But also you have the issue of the demand side. If you have someone who is caught uh, walking down the street with an AK-47 and they bond out the next day, that sends the wrong message to the community. And also there's a problem on the demand side of that as well. So when I talk about uh, using intelligence to get after the gun crime epidemic that we have, I am thinking about my own military experience, but also in terms of uh, really trying to break down that supply chain. New York and Los Angeles combined still have fewer homicides than Chicago. Why do you suppose that is? And do you think we'll ever get to a time when we can match them? You know, that is that is a, uh, yeah, two, I mean, uh, Los Angeles last year had 254 homicides, New York 318, and we, of course, had 400 and 492 and, uh, you know, our homicide rate started has been for most of the last century in line with with those other cities and only recently has, has started to deviate. So I do think that we will get get back in line, uh, get back in line. And some of the one of the things we have to do is is both those cities have made great strides in terms of community policing and community policing. um you know, needs to be much more of a philosophy here than simply a program. And that's why I'm excited for uh, Interim Superintendent Beck, who is one of the, you know, one of been one of the national leaders on community policing. Yeah, he's talked about creating district coordination officers who are freed from 911 calls, who give out their cell phones and build a bond with people. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting, I think it's important that the that the state's attorney's office really be out there in the community, which is why when I'm state's attorney, I'm going to make sure that I, I am going everywhere and being as visible as I can. Uh, and I hope that and we'll have many of our assistants that are doing the same, doing the same as well, because I think it's important when somebody bravely comes forward to uh, as a witness to a crime. And then they talk to the police officer, hopefully somebody they know, and then they are then referred to the state's attorney's office. It would be great if, if that person said, you know, those are the people that work for Bill. Uh, or better yet, that's John. He works for Bill. And so that they will feel um, feel brave about coming forward as well as, um, as well as uh, you know, be able, to, be able to really get after the things we have to in the criminal justice system. But also in those other cities, there is a greater alignment between people be, be people who are caught with illegal guns and them and them going to jail and that's why I talk about why I'm passionate about uh, you know gun crime reform as well when you talk to police officers and you talk to retailers they mm-hmm. are extremely upset with this policy of not pursuing shoplifting that's below a thousand dollars Kim Fox, as far as I can see, or at least what my understanding of it, it used to be $300 threshold. Now it's $1,000. Is that right? And what is wrong with what she is? So the felony threshold per the legislature right now is $300. Right. Uh, 
And she has she has made the unilateral decision to to not prosecute the felony level unless it's over a thousand dollars. What do you think of that? And what impact has it had on some of these smash and grab crimes, the muggings, the the, the kinds of things that the brazenness that we're seeing? You know, I, and I I, uh, I think that's a great way to put it. You know, in the sense that on there's sort of when I look at retail theft, there are really two kinds of retail theft. There is your more one-off situations, you know, the extreme in that situation would be the new mother stealing baby formula and those sorts of things that are, that are one-off cases. And then you have situations that are really organized retail crime. People come in and somebody holds down the shopkeeper. Maybe they break some windows. They all steal $900 worth of stuff and they leave. And the, the first one needs to be handled one way, but the second one clearly needs to be handled, handled at the felony level. And and that's how we are going to we are going to look at that when I'm in office. Something else we're going to do is when I was prosecuting. But I mean, yeah. has what she has done here led to an organized uh, ability to say, "Oh, good, we can steal nine hundred ninety nine dollars worth of stuff, and we're home free. We're back out on the street." Is 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 that policy change that she has done here led to? an increase in the boldness and brazenness of these kinds of crimes. It's, I mean, it certainly looks that way. It's been reported uh, in many media outlets, uh, both from, both from uh, experts as well as, as well as from retailers, that, that it has led to that. So cer- I mean, certainly looks that way. people on Michigan Avenue just busting windows and, and grabbing, uh, you know, jewelry or coats or whatever, and then they drive off, and we've seen the video of it. Yeah, you, is that you have, you why have, it's why. happening that way, or what's the reason we've seen so many of this? Well, it looks like that's that you know looks like it that uh, that is the case. I mean, it's it's I mean hard to hard to really argue with what's going on right now. We've obviously seen a huge uptick in in retail theft, and it has come on the heels of this policy. So, uh, so what are you going to do different? Well, certainly the way we are going to prosecute organized retail crime at the at the uh, felony at the felony level. And and if we and even if we can, there are um, there are ways to do it as a retail theft case, and there are even ways to do it as a part of a continuing financial crimes enterprise. And to someone who prosecuted financial crimes, if we have to get at it through through that way as well, we will. And also, but but I do want to say one thing is that you know at the at the misdemeanor level, when I was in misdemeanor court in two thousand six and two thousand seven. We had uh, something that was known as theft school. It was a very simple diversion program. Uh, somebody had to go for a day or two and hear about how theft is bad and things. And it wasn't a uh, wasn't a huge punishment, but at least it was something to do to do for folks. And you know, I think when we talk about crime, oftentimes people think there's two choices of let everybody go and lock everybody up. And when we can do something like this, a very simple program, that is something that we need to that we need to do. And I know the county cut this program several years ago, but we were we are going to bring that back. And if I have to get that privately funded, I will. Kim Fox is and is very prideful of the fact that she's part of this new breed of activist states attorneys Mm -hmm. who have reversed wrongful convictions, who have uh, she went into court, made a big show of that to the day uh, the first day to decriminalize the uh, when recreational marijuana was decriminalized to vacate some of these convictions. Are you concerned that she will, if reelected, push for decriminalization of other 
kinds of drugs. Are you worried about the kind of activism? And what, what's the well, problem is, with the kind of activism that she has shown in the state's attorney's office? Well, that is something that, uh, you know, would be, would be, of course, be up to the legislature, not to the, not to the state's attorney's office. Would she office. advocate for it even? You know, when I, when I look at wrongful convictions, if we have any information that indicates that somebody that was proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and that was incorrect, that that conviction should be should be vacated. And I will advocate for that, too. And I am in favor of the legalization of marijuana as well as the expungement. So that is something that is something that that will continue in my administration as well. So are you concerned that she will advocate for even more than she has in if reelected? I mean, when I look at, um, you know, I can't. I obviously can't speak for speak for Miss Fox, and I'm and I'm also pretty confident she's not going to get reelected. So I'm not uh, not as concerned about that. But when we talk about uh, when we talk about drug crime, you know, we really need to be thinking about that in the criminal justice system much different than we do today. You know, drug cases are roughly forty percent of all the felonies prosecuted in Cook County, and. On the possession side, we need to be looking at that over time as much more of a public health problem than than something that can be solved in the criminal justice system. I mean, I mean, the dealers that hand out free samples the day before payday in some of our neighborhoods. Yeah, they, those we got to prosecute the heck out of those people. But the possession, the possession folks is something we need to be thinking about that in a much different way. And I look to the example of of Portugal. Portugal used to be a uh, one of the one of the most uh, drug heavy countries in the European Union, and they tried to lock everybody up, and it didn't work. And then they changed changed their methodology to really focusing much more on treatment for folks uh, for drug possession folks, and and now they are one of the lowest drug using uh, drug using um, countries in the European Union. How and, do you feel about these safe sites for drug use? You know, I think it's. I think that's one where the devil's in the details because to she's the ex- all for that. Well, to the extent that we can put people in a position where first they don't obviously they don't die, frankly, and then also can get them on the road to recovery. We can bring people out of the shadows. That's a good. That is a good thing. But you also want to make sure if you're having these safe zones that you're not increasing the demand demand for drugs and, and creating even a bigger drug problem that we have. So we have to look at that to make sure that uh, that we get that balance right. So that is one where uh, I am uh, certainly not going to say I'm against it, but it was something that I really want to study to see if we can we can help bring people out of the criminal justice system and try and start getting them the treatment and the services that they need. Kim Fox says your attacks on her Burke money is hypocritical because your father has taken so much, you've taken so much money from your dad and your dad uh, invests in defense companies and uh, an arms dealing empire that to this day is contributing to violence around the world. What do you say to that? You know, I, I first of all, I, you know, I say I love my dad, but I've never worked at his firm, you know, and I have not. And you have no, I mean, aren't you tainted by money that he got investing in these kinds of companies. Well, I, I will say this. Certainly, if anything ever involving my dad or my mom ever came before the state's attorney's office, of course, I would recuse myself from that. That's all you say? You know, I think that's, I think that's really all there is what to about, say. But what about yeah. his investments in the defense industry? 
you know, I've never, I've never worked at his firm, so I can't speak to the investments, investments of that firm. You know, certainly my dad, uh, you know, is in his early seventies today. He has, he long since, uh, stepped down as head of that firm. Um, but it's, it is highly unlikely that there would ever be any kind of, any kind of nexus, if you will, between, between that firm and the state's attorney's office. Uh, but if there was, of course, I, w- I would recuse myself. But what we have here in Chicago and Cook Counties, we've had for a long time, is a very entrenched machine. And when that entrenched machine has put people in power, they feel like they owe something to that machine. And I am not going to owe anything to that machine. And that's why I can promise you the public corruption reckoning that I have. What will you do if you lose? Have you thought about it? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't thought about the, that. But I will say that it has. It is all very much going the right direction for us, which I am, which I am happy and excited about. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. <laughs> okay, Bill Conway, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck to you in the election, and uh, thank you, Fran. I hope it's the not best another man uh, or woman win. I hope it's not another ten years before you interview me again. Okay. <laughs> thank and you. we'll see you all next week. <laughs>